Okay, so today's podcast is going to be a little different. I'm actually going to be the one who's interviewed. And this mainly came about due to a conversation that I had three or four weeks ago. Essentially, I realised that people are honest, people are transparent, people are open on this podcast. And I don't think I've done enough to really prove the same. And I firmly believe that in order to ask for something, you need to first show it. So today is going to be a little insight into me, my motivations, my history, and ultimately how I've got to this point today. The person interviewing me is the same person I had this conversation with three or four weeks ago. Her name is Alice. She's one of my oldest friends. And we thought it'd be fun to try this out, see how it goes. And yeah, I hope you enjoy the episode and we'll see where this one takes us. Thank you. Yeah, so let's get into it. Okay. First question, question number one. (laughs) I'm curious to know, and I'm sure others would be curious to know, what made you create this podcast? What inspired it? Like, where did it come from? Yeah, there's a few different things for me where I feel like it was almost like a perfect storm in terms of, I was actually going through a really hard time, if I'm honest. So I had had a bit, a few ups and downs generally, but a few things happened in my life where I guess it made me be more self-reflective and much more than usual. And I was really trying to think, okay, like what do I actually want to do A, with my life and B, what do I want to achieve over the next five years? But also what do I enjoy doing as a human being? And I've always felt that I've perhaps been a little bit different in that regard because what I enjoying, enjoy doing the most is speaking to people like this. It's like one-on-one deep conversations. I can't say I'm the life and soul of every fucking party, but you know, like Can that's- Can swear on here? Yeah, absolutely <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's fine. I'm, but, that, but that's just me. That's just what I enjoy doing. And I think that was actually an internal battle for a while personally, but I was like, what can I do where that is kind of incorporated into something that, yeah, like gives me value that isn't just speaking to someone at a party that actually hopefully will have benefit for other people. Cause that's another part is that, you know, I know what I want to do in the future needs to serve people, needs to have some sort of purpose beyond just serving, you know, the man or um, a, a larger company, et cetera. And I know that that doesn't necessarily mean that I can't work for a company, but if I can do something like this, at the same time, I think it just yeah gives me massive value. So that was sort of a, a realization I had, gosh, this was back in February, I think, of, of this year. Um, and yeah, that was actually born out of relative negativity for me, which was interesting. Um, and I guess secondly, I've listened to podcasts for the last three or four years. Uh, for me, they have changed the way I look at myself and that I see the world. You know, some of the learnings I've got from people like Simon Sinek, who's a a psychologist and, um, you know, even like the old episodes on Joe Rogan from way back in the day. I know people aren't sometimes the biggest fan of his. That's controversial. Yeah, I I understand. Um, But I'm sure everyone has a story where they've listened to a podcast and it's just changed the way they see the world. And for me, success is more of a measure of if that can happen even once to someone else. I don't need to know about it, but that's kind of my aim is to have a conversation with someone that asks people to look 
within themselves and like that is something that I feel is is really important so yeah those two things combined made that perfect storm and here we are cool and so asking people to look into themselves that's something that you'd say you're good at doing yeah I think it's something I've always done yeah as you can testament to I can I can yeah testament to that it's just what is most natural to me like the common denominator for the last 15 years of my life has been the question of why and I always want to know why and if someone tells me something or they open up about a situation I almost feel like it's my duty now to say why and get delve deeper ask some questions and yeah it's something that it's not really a switch that I can I can turn off it's it's really strange and I think that's grown even stronger since having therapy myself as well because you know I I used to think I was the most self-aware person in the world and you know I had it all figured out and god does the universe just nudge you and say no you fucking don't (laughs) um and I had that realization pretty pretty um yeah pretty strongly recently so yeah always something that I've had for sure yes I can vouch for that it is something that you've always had um so I think you've talked about and just in passing you've literally just mentioned that you know you've had some serious time to reflect and the past 15 years so I think it would be good to kind of take us back to, you know, where it all began. Um, And for you to kind of talk about, I think, you know, it's really important and I've seen in your other interviews, you know, childhood and growing up, obviously it it defines who we are. Um, So tell me a little bit about that. Well, tell me a lot about that, you know, tell me about your childhood. How was it? What did it look like, you know, fond memories not so fond memories um yeah yeah absolutely um so I grew up in France and I don't really have many memories if I'm honest from that time but I was very happy I always remember being told I was a very outgoing sort of like bright kid who liked playing outdoors and you know we'd go like to the mountains on the weekend and stuff mountain biking or like you know snowboarding and on yeah like on in the winter etc and yeah that's that's what I've been told and that is what I remember somewhat um I don't remember any like real negativity towards the early that like early side of my of my life and yeah as as far as I knew I was a pretty happy child um I then moved to England when I was 12 because my dad uh sort of his business moved over to the UK and that was really tough because you know I think it's hard for anyone moving country don't get me wrong but I was always a bit of a homeboy I liked my home comforts and um, you know I yeah I guess just like wasn't great in new environments that's something that I've remembered as early as I can yeah yeah, possibly remember and at 12 yeah that's a typical age you're becoming a teenager you're transitioning from a child to a teenager um and then to kind of root up your life and move to a different country is is a lot yeah 100 percent. and you know my, I think my parents knew that as well and they did everything they could to try and make it as comfortable as possible but um 
you know, I, I remember that first day walking into school and I had butterflies in my stomach for like two months before that day because I didn't know what the school was like. I didn't know anyone there. Um, you know, I, I just felt negatively about it. I, I couldn't see a positive. And I remember for the first like month and a month and a half, you know, I used to like want to go home every lunchtime. I just wanted to push everything away. Um, and then I don't know what happened. I think I just started to open up a little bit more. I started to meet, you know, a few of the boys. We started to play football and stuff like that. And then the minute that I met a few friends and I felt comfortable, it was just like game changing, you know. I felt completely at home. Um, all of my friends live within like a mile radius of me. So it would be going out, you know, um, on your bike, knocking on their door, can you come out and play, et cetera. And I had really positive memories from that point as well. So it was ended up being a, quite comfortable for me and I really found my feet, which was lovely. Yeah, it sounds like you were quite fortunate to meet such good friends. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, don't You're want to... still friends with some of them today, right? Yeah, yeah. I, li I live with one of them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy. Um, but, you know, it was... I, I've, generally, I felt very fortunate with friends. Uh, I know everyone has a really different path and, you know, some people find it difficult, etc. But, you know, back in Farnham, everyone lives very close together. Um, so, And that definitely helps with regards to the dynamic. But, yeah, moved from France, settled in well for the first two years. And then... I had a period of my life that I actually had buried up until about six months ago. And that was when I was diagnosed with ME. And for people that don't know what ME is, it's essentially a condition where after a serious illness, which was pneumonia in my case, you never quite recover. So the symptoms are waking up in the morning feeling you know, so tired that you literally can't get out of bed. I remember I was going for walks with my mum. It would get five minutes into the walk and I'd literally feel like I'm going to collapse and I needed to go back to the car. And it was all very unknown and no one really knew why or, or what actually happened. It couldn't be exp explained from a physiological point of view either. So there were no markers of, oh, I'm going to do this test and you have ME. It was all just symptoms based. Mm. And, and there's no treatment for it, is there? No. No. And um, to go through that when you're like 13, 14, so this was year six, year seven, yeah. um, you know, you're moving schools as well. Yeah, tough transition. <sighs> yeah, Re it was really hard. And particularly when I had doctors telling me, you're fine, you're faking it. And, and I think for me personally, there was some truth in that because I was a bit of a cry wolf back in the day. And my parents knew it. Weren't we all? Well, yeah, exa exactly right. Like, you know, if you didn't fancy school in the afternoon, sometimes sometimes you're like, oh, I'm feeling really ill. I'm sorry. Yeah, I did it so many times. Yeah. Don't worry. We're, we're all kids then, right? Exactly. We're young and, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And um, so I, I'd gained a bit of a reputation maybe. So it took a while for my parents to believe me. And I always remember this story where my dad, knew I loved McDonald's and part of me was I didn't want to eat either I'd literally be having like two pieces of toast a day and that was all I could have and um my dad drove to McDonald's when it was he basically they were really trying to test me because I'd been off school for two or three weeks at that point and he got like chicken nuggets and he was literally like 
Chris, are you sure you don't want a chicken nugget? And I was like, no, no. He was like, are you sure? And like really pressed me for it. Eat the chicken nugget. Eat the chicken nugget. <laughs> and I was like, no. And he'd like put it close to my face and I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. And, but then like as stupid as it sounds, like that was a moment when the yeah. penny dropped for both of them, I think, when it was like, oh, like usually he could not resist that. Yeah. And now he can't even eat a chicken nugget. Um, so yeah, just something that I'm, I'm reminded by. But I had that for a year and a half. And that was me not being in school for like, six months in year six I think in year seven I very gradually went back sometimes it was like coming in the mornings leaving the afternoon I think that happened for maybe yeah another six months and that's really hard because obviously in year seven you know you've started a new school well in the UK you start a new school in in year seven Mm -hmm. um so again you're trying to integrate with all the kids but you're in not full time and so when all those friendships are forming, you're kind of absent. Mm. You know, did you feel like that impacted that initial kind of friendship forming stage when you joined secondary school? Yeah, I I actually wonder whether it's impacted even to this day. Because you're very, I'm very fortunate to still know a lot of the people that I know today, but you know, you can't help but look at someone that you've known for 15 years and kind of see their 14, 15 year old self. And I wonder whether that's actually ever left people, even if it's subconscious. And yeah, definitely at the time it was it was really hard. People didn't understand why I left school at, at lunchtime. No one understood what it meant to be like, you know, severely ill at that point. So they just thought, oh, you're so lucky you're getting an afternoon off you know, or all afternoons off, or you don't have to do this, or you can leave the class when you want. And I like, well, you know, like, I can't help it kind of thing. Like, that's just what I can manage at the moment. But it was really interesting, because I often think about what was the psychological aspect of that, of getting over Emmy, and what was the, I guess, like the, the physical aspect. And what I mean by that is, Nothing changed, I just gradually got better. But I noticed as soon as I kind of came to terms with the fact that I do not want to live my life like this, I like mentally was able to really push myself and be like, no, I'm going to go into school, like, even if it's for an hour, I'm gonna do this, even if it's for, even if it exhausts me, even if I can't do anything for the rest of the day, I want to go and see a friend for 20 minutes. Like, and it was only once I reached that point that I started to get better. So it was almost like, can you psych yourself into feeling better at that point? And that was the only thing that started to sort of bend that trajectory back up. Interesting. So I guess you used the kind of mind over matter in that case. And obviously for a lot of illnesses, that doesn't work. You know, you have a physical illness and, you know, you can be really strong and and mentally strong, but you know, you're not overcoming that illness. Whereas I feel like ME is, a, like you said, it's very, it's physiological, but it's also quite psychological. But to have that kind of realization and strength, at how old were you? What, 13? Yeah, 12, 13. 13, 13 to go, yeah. I'm not living my life like this anymore, you know, is really quite something. Mm. Well, it, it, I almost had to see what I was missing out on 
to give me a reward to try and get back there because you know all I could feel was being exhausted that was all that was all I ever felt and you know I just remember yeah there was like a year where I barely ate all day and struggled to do anything but I'm not saying that like you that even was the case that I like mentally said oh this is enough it's more that I think like when you go to the gym and you build muscles right like you go to the gym for you know an hour a week first and then you go two hours three hours then it's five days I think that's what I had to do I almost had to build my like health back and that was the only thing that got me over it and then by I think it was like early year eight I'd I was absolutely fine you know I I like subtly wondered today whether it ever has an impact whether it's ever like still there just in the you know not psychologically because probably is but physically because I do tend to feel a bit like oh god but to be honest it's probably more the drinking and going out and late nights and lack of sleep so yeah um, (laughs) that's interesting and it seems to be a condition that has very little research around well I'm sure there is I mean I don't know a lot about it but from what you've told me and I do know other people that suffer from it um it seems to be kind of like a you know the medical world shrugs their shoulders at it so maybe one day you will find out more about it and and does it impact you long term um but yeah obviously the drinking and the going out is probably the number one reason why you're tired (laughs) yeah unfortunately the finger always points back at you in that (laughs) in that regard um but yeah you know I was I'd as I said at the beginning I'd completely forgotten about it until I went into therapy and I had to explain what went on. And then I also asked my family, I said like, what happened? Cause I, I can't remember it. It was obviously, you know, buried. Um, and they explained it a bit more and that helped me understand how I actually felt at that time. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like, it's, it's amazing that something so big in a period of your life that's, you know, yeah, I guess it, yeah, has such a long duration yeah. you can literally feel like was a snap of the fingers yeah and I don't think I gave it any credit for how I've been built today which is really interesting yeah and I think from speaking now a lot of things that come up well like a recurring theme that comes up in what you're talking about is memory you know when you spoke about oh you know I lived in France, but I don't remember much of it. And with my ME, I only remembered it when I went in therapy. It seems like, and you said I buried it, obviously. But you know, let I'm intrigued by that because that's you know, not like why why do you forget things? Why do you think you forget things? Yeah. So I might butcher this explanation scientifically, but I'm pretty sure it's true. Apparently what happens, especially when you're a child, is if you're stressed, like the stress hormone is cortisol, and if cortisol is high, it like hijacks your long-term memory processing. So the theory is that if someone says, I don't remember a lot of my childhood, it means that you're actually quite stressed. And now we're all stressed, right? You know, some people have horrendous childhoods where it's a constant fight or flight, etc. I'm not saying that was me, but... I have had like some fairly pivotal points in my life. And I think a lot Hardship, of that- Yeah. In a way. Yeah. yeah having like that, me. That was hard. Moving yeah. country was hard. Um, you know, it's weird that I don't really remember my time in France too much, but 
uh, yeah, I, I don't really know what the stresses are then. I haven't gone quite that far back in therapy. <laughs> Probably need hypnotherapy for that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but yeah, I, it's, it's really interesting. And I think it's just something to be conscious of because I had no idea that that, that was a possible reason. Um, but it was, yeah, something that, that my own therapist told me. Yeah, and do you think therapy really helps like bring out those suppressed memories? Yeah. Because someone, you know, might be listening to this and feel there's like a whole gap in their life where they don't really recall or remember. And would you say that therapy's really helped you? Definitely. And therapy helped me because it, you know, I often say it like puts a mirror up in front of you. But what then helped me was uncovering, okay, I've got this gap in my life. And then I went to the people that were there at that time, like my mum, my dad, and I was like, what happened from your perspective? And then I got someone else's perspective from it. Because I, I don't know about you, but I never go to my family and say, oh, like when I was eight years old and this happened, like, how did you feel? Or what was I like? Or how did I respond? You kind of just take your life for granted and you take it for what you experience it as. You know, whereas when you're 25, you're often like, oh, what do you think of me? What? Yeah, so you're, you're much more conscious of it. But when you're a child, you kind of just roll yeah, through. Yeah, you seek feedback as, mm. a, as an adult a lot more as a kid because, yeah, obviously your self-awareness isn't developed yeah. as it is today. Yeah, exactly. And and that really helps as well. Like going to my mum, we sat in the car, we were on a long car journey. And I just said, I've just had this situation happen to me where I've, remembered that I was ill for two years of my life. What happened? What was I like? And she told me the chicken nugget story, which made me laugh. And we were actually like bonded over it, which was really lovely. Um, and I also got to hear about how hard it was for them. You know, like the fact that they didn't know whether they could believe me or not, or that no doctor was giving an answer. Um, and, you know, yeah, the the process of, I guess, recovering from that, from their point of view. And my mum actually said, like, there was a point where they were like, we don't know whether you're ever going to get better. They were like, this could be it for the rest of your life. Because That's no scary one for a parent. For some people it is. For some people who have really? any, they never recover. And oh. and that's the issue about something that's so unknown. So I, you know, definitely recommend if you're in a place where you feel comfortable enough to do so and you trust the people that you ask, yeah, go back into your life, you know, in a time where you don't know and try and get a bit more context, you know? Interesting. Okay. So we're, so you've, you're in secondary school now and fortunate, like amazingly you feeling, start feeling better. And so, yeah, you start being kind of like a normal kid. How was that? How was, how was secondary school? Um, yeah, the challenge didn't really stop. I, always felt like I was catching up, both in a social sense and in a confidence sense. So not being at school means that you miss, you know, every joke, every funny thing that happens. And obviously I didn't really know this at the time, but all I wanted to do was then like, just jump back into life and feel normal. And I was, I got, I had so much energy because I felt normal again I felt like I was back on my right path and it took a long time for me to properly integrate back into school and I think also for my friends to trust me again because as far as they're aware I was faking the whole thing or you know 
they no one understood. I didn't expect them to understand, but um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I still had my friends at school, but it took a long time for me to, I guess, feel comfortable with the people that I was, I was with and exposed to. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, you and I were very close for a period of time during school. I mean, we always stayed close, but I think that was kind of year eight, probably mm. year eight. Yeah, yeah, year eight was was when we were most close, and I feel as though you were so desperately trying to fit in, and it really, like we all are, but I think because obviously you had this this this. Emmy that had really impacted your your journey, your transition into school. Um, and, but you, you are always have been different in the way that you're very in tune with other people's feelings. And I think you had those, those, those skills and those, that, that, how do would you say it like, like emotional intelligence yeah, yeah and um intuition there but you knew that being sensitive 14 year old boy especially with you know your group of friends yeah. who were complete jokers um it does it's a mismatch. in the best way but it, it, there was i could you know you could sense and being close to you i could sense that you felt that there was that disconnect but you just wanted to override that a lot does that would you agree with that yeah 100 percent. there's a i think i was battling within myself because i didn't know which one i was yeah i didn't know whether i was the person that could sit down with someone for two hours and talk about feelings and how they felt and shoot why the shit. and shoot the shit yeah uh or whether i was the person who wanted to be carefree do stupid stuff like I don't know I, and I, I feel like even to this day I'm a bit of both I need a bit of both in my life because I need conversations like this and I need to open up because it gives me a certain sense of value but I also need to have like play in my life and you know, have fun and ride my bike with my hair flowing and in the wind get shit faced with your mates yeah exactly it's like I I, I think I've now come to that point where I I know that's what I need. I need to have both so that I can be happy. But at that time, I had to hide either one in either situation because, and I, I had to like adapt and mold and fit to my environment. And I think that's a real issue because if you're having to do that, people can also sense that you're not being real. And even though it was part of me, I think it didn't come across like it was real particularly with my friends more than anything, because I often describe, and I spoke to someone about this the other day, if you're not projecting your real self, I think it builds a brick wall between communication. So you're, you wanna be able to look someone in the face and kind of like see below them and say, okay, I know what you're saying is real. And even that, if that realness is, you know, someone being vulgar or someone saying something horrendous, but they mean it, it's like, okay, well, at least they're being real with you. At least they are being themselves. And I can take that. And then you have a choice of taking it or leaving it. But the problem is when you're putting up a false front or you're trying to hide something or the messaging's convoluted, even 50-year-old kids can figure that out. Oh, I mean, 
more so. Yeah. I think kids have a real intuition. Um, and, you know, there's always that saying, children police themselves. And so if you're, you know, and and that isn't necessarily like a positive or a negative. It just means that if you're not conforming to the the typical um, behavior of, of, of that group or that, that group of children, then they're gonna ice you out in yeah. a way. Yeah, hundred um, percent. You can't. You can't. I, the thing is, I can't blame anyone for it because in school and in college, it's basically survival. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, we've all we, we, we've all had our. <laughs> it was a good time. Yeah, but you know, like, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. It is really hard. I can't how can you blame someone for you know yeah following the pack or doing something else maybe i'm just fine my own behavior a bit here but but when you don't know who you are when you're still growing and there's all sorts of stuff happening hormonally within you and you know there's it feels like there's a new joke or a new thing every day and you know i obviously i think we can all look back at periods in our childhood or things that we've done where we're like i'm not proud of that but the fact that you can now look back on it and say, okay, I wasn't proud of it, means that you've developed somewhat and that you've gone, come somewhere. Yeah, and I think it's important not to be so hard on yourself um, of what you were like as a teenager. Um, I think your brain isn't fully developed. I mean, our brains also have only just fully developed. I mean, they stopped developing. I don't have any more left. Yeah. What? <laughs> Please, this needs to develop Shit. more. Um, but... Yeah, I I mean, I also went through a similar thing of really just trying to forgive myself about some of the horrendous things I did as a, you know, 14, 15 year old girl, which honestly is um, the antichrist, you know, 14, 15 year old girls can be the devil incarnate and boys as well for their own reasons. You know, like you said, there's so many hormones flying around. You, you have like a split personality sometimes, but yeah you can't you can't even feel like shame because you're not even you at that point you're building you and you've got to make those mistakes and you've got to do the weird shit and ashamed shit that you've done <laughs> to figure it all out yeah yeah you've got to i mean we've done our fair share i'm yeah. everyone has mm. but yeah i think that's really important what you're trying to say is that you know that it's 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 a learning process and you can't be too hard on yourself about what you were like as a kid yeah i i have a few like life philosophies that i'm sure do share yeah um <laughs> i don't even know how they've been formed but i just like believe really strongly in them probably puts myself in a little box so i need to try and get out of that but one of those things is that particularly when you're young, but you need to understand boundaries. So your track is like this and you need to understand where one boundary is and where another is. And the only way by doing that is to push on the boundaries and go towards them and say, okay, like I've pushed towards this one. How do I feel? Okay, I know I need to come back a little bit. And then you eventually, I, I, I feel like as a kid, you start with your boundaries super wide and then if you go to oh, here, yeah, like kids are like yeah. biting each other, pulling yeah. each other's hair, you yeah. know, yeah, They're doing whatever they Anything want, goes. right? 
<laughs> Within reason. You know. Um, but yeah, you, you have to hit your boundary in order to understand what it means to do that. And therefore you can learn from that and then be like, okay, cool, I don't want to go that far anymore. And when you're young, life is all about trying to, you know, hit those boundaries arguably as frequently as possible so you can then understand where where you want to go, where your limits are, what you enjoy doing, what you don't. Because if you go your whole life going straight down that middle track, you're never going to understand what it's like to be in either extreme. And I think that's more dangerous because you never... Sounds pretty boring. Yeah, it's boring. But it's also like, I feel like that's when true chaos happens. When someone has never like gone to an extreme or never understood what it's like to push either side. And you, you don't know what... Understand. So it's almost amoral that you yeah. haven't, you know, flexed your moral sides. You know, you haven't done something that makes you feel shame. So you, you don't, don't know what, know shame feels what like. that's like. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. Yeah, you can't, you know, it's like opening, not opening Pandora's box. Yeah. It's like you have no idea what's inside until you open it. That's such a good analogy for being a teenager is the opening of Pandora's box. Because it's so yeah. true. Yeah. Better open it when you're 15 versus 35 because... Absolutely. There are... Sound advice. <laughs> so, Claire, well done. Yeah. We did well. <laughs> one thing from this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah. So, there, there's clearly a running theme here is that secondary school was a struggle, um, you know, with with Emmy, but also around fitting in and 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 almost always playing catch up. Um, so moving on, college. So I think yeah, college. Obviously, how old are you when you go to college? Sixteen. Sixteen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'd say as I got older, I started to understand myself a little bit more. As we all do, we all go through those those ways, right? I. I remember leaving like year 11 and being like, yeah, you know, like you've done your GCSEs. It's all exciting. You have a fun summer, et cetera. Everyone's yeah, growing up. Yeah, that summer was great. Yeah. It's always, always after doing your exams like for, and leaving school. It's always the best summers for some reason. I don't Reading know why. Festival 2013. Oh, <laughs> don't remind me of that. You know, Pandora's box. I'm shutting that one. <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, you know, if you haven't done that, it's a coming of age moment. It's yeah. good fun. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, right of passage. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, college was, to be honest, more of the same, like friendship wise, it was just still a lot of ego, a lot of bravado from myself and everyone else, you know, um, I, I feel like there's not a whole load more of the story there in terms of friendships. I guess the one big thing that, that did happen was I sort of got into my first long-term relationship and that sort of gave me a whole new level of you know happiness appreciation confidence like all of the the positive sort of all words I can possibly use yeah um because you know like I was I was quite an overweight kid at some point okay. I, I went from you know having me and being like rake thin to then suddenly being able to eat but just obviously pushing it too far so push my boundary that way for sure and um you know, I was like, I think I got to like year 11 or something like that. And then I was like, okay, I'm actually a little bit fat. So I need to, you know, 
watch what I eat a little bit more and just, you know, not binge eat basically. So I started to like slim down a little bit, you know, as it came to college and continued to do so afterwards. Um, and yeah, so therefore I'd say my confidence at school wasn't high at all. And, you know, then I never really got, had the feeling or knew the feeling of meeting someone and them really liking me and stuff like that. So um, that was obviously a little bit of a hole at that point. And then, yeah, I, I met someone in the first year of college and yeah, it was just, it was crazy. Like, you know, it gave me something I'd never felt before. And that was really special. It gave me a whole new level of confidence, which I then was able to apply in, you know, the rest of my life, to be honest, in terms of friendships or going to, you know, do like going to work. Like I worked in a pub for three years, which was definitely an interesting- which pub? It was a cherry tree in Farnham. Oh, really? Um, well, I worked there for three years and my word, did I learn a lot about life there. That. Um, oh yeah. yeah, always working in a pub. Yeah, it was great. Some life lessons. Highly recommend anyone to work in a pub. I got to see the best and the worst in adults, you know, <laughs> uh, what drinking culture was like. And our, our bosses were very interesting people, but- they, it's not even a pub anymore, is it? No, no. it's a house. It's so sad. Um, but yeah, I'll just quickly say, our, both of our bosses, they're called Dom and Rich. Uh, they were both from London, like sort of like mid thirties. And, you know, my family were always very like caring and empathetic and like quite soft in that way. Uh, my dad had, you know, like was somewhat stern in some ways, but, you know, I feel like it, we did have quite a good balance, but it definitely was on the more empathetic side. I then go and meet Dom and Rich, you know, and going to work and they'd be the type of people who'd be like, why are you doing that? Saw it out. And I'm like, no one's ever spoken to me like this. Like, <laughs> like what the hell? But my God, did I need it? I, yeah. I needed some of that like super directness because at first I was like, oh God, I thought I was going to cry. But then, you know, six months later and I'm giving it back to them and it, and it really gave me a bit of an edge. Bit so of confidence. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I was washing dishes, you know, like I was, I was washing dishes. I was, um, you know, I had like stuff all down my t-shirt and then he'd be like, go and serve someone. I'm like, I can't serve someone like this. He was like, just go and do it. And like, there wasn't a choice in the matter, you know. <laughs> But then I was like talking to adults, you're kind of like, you know, giving them a bit of banter over the table, you're getting tips. I was pouring pints yeah, for people. Yeah, you're like, sorry guys, I smell of chip fat, but here's your roast dinner. <laughs> yeah, Happy there's a massive Sunday. thumb smudge on your plate, but ignore that. Sorry, let me just get it off. <laughs> it really, it really was a bit, you know, trust me, hygiene was great, don't worry for anyone. Well, it's not a pub anymore, so. No, fair Do enough. that information what you will. Yeah, it got taken over by more interesting people. Um, but yeah, in in short, uh, I really needed that. And it was very much a coming of age experience for me. So highly recommend. Um, but yeah, so I had that in my life as well. And things were just starting to coming start coming together. Um, and yeah, I think college again was, I still found it tough. I still felt like I was having to have this, yeah, split personality, as you said earlier, because um, it kind of just gets escalated to another level when you know, people are a bit older, like more drinking becomes more of a thing. Partying. Partying, driving, like, you know, car, like it, you become, you start to become an adult and you start to become less comfortable with being a child. But you're also so self-conscious, so self-conscious. I feel yeah. that age of 16, 17, 18 is when you are so 
aware mm. of your appearance. You know, you, I think, obviously you start becoming interested, have love interests younger than that. But I think that's when 16, 17, 18, kind of sex becomes a thing and that adds a whole new level um, of of self-consciousness. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's as soon as sex comes into the equation. Yeah. It's like, that's what everything's judged by. Yeah. You know, it was a constant conversation. It was like, you know, if you haven't got a girlfriend, it's like, who are you after? What are you doing? And you're, you know, you're measured as a person, not by who you are, it was by like what you're doing. And I feel like- And who you're seeing. Yeah. And I feel like that, to be honest, is the phrase between like year nine and college and the end of college is like, you're judged on what you do, not who you are. Oh, absolutely. It's just, and it's, you know, it's total bullshit, right? Like yeah. no, no one, no one really works in that way when you're, you know, our age, 26. But again, it's, it's, it's that kind of conforming to society and that self-policing that, that goes on and, you know, that forming of character. Um, no, it's not how people operate as adults, but you wonder what we would operate like if we didn't have that kind of period of complete judgment, complete self-consciousness. Um, it's it's almost like we said, like it's a coming of age, it's a rite of passage, you know, you don't, it, it's almost like you have to go through that. And granted, for some people it is so much harder than others. Some people think back to their school days and they they hate it, um, you, you know, and I think it is really hard for some people, but it's almost like you have to do it to become the person that, the adult that you are today. Um, yeah. Definitely, I mean, you know, on the positive side, it's character building. On the negative side, yeah, it's- that's my mum's favorite um, saying, it's character yeah. building. Yeah. <laughs> But also, you know, deep trauma. <laughs> They're two sides of the coin, right? So um, it's, it's a really strange time. You know, college was different for you because you found love. And it, it seems finding that love and having that first love was a really positive experience for you. Um, that, and, you know, you've said it, that it leaked into other parts of your life and you felt more confident. So that was a really positive experience. Yeah, 100%. Um, it was one of those things where I just had never felt it before as well. So I didn't understand what the dynamics were like. And you know, there was definitely some figuring out, you're still a 16 year old child of that, in that way, but it always kind of adhered to my like strengths as well in terms of you know one-on-one -on -one relationships and being in tune, I finally felt like the tools that I had within me were being used for the right purpose. Um, not saying I was perfect, <laughs> but... No, when you're, yeah. of course, when you're 16, 17, 18, yeah. you're not. You're figuring it out Yeah, still. But yeah, it, it was, yeah, I mean, I think, I think meeting that person was the single most impactful thing that's happened in my life. So, you know, big statement, but I, I've had yeah, a lot of time to I reflect. Yeah, I think statement. It's, it's true. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it made me feel really positive again, generally, and, and further helped me to set myself on the right track. Whereas I think for a long time, there was a lot of, you know, cluelessness, a lot of, I guess, yeah, just like a lot of putting energy in, in 
different places that maybe wasn't very fulfilling. So that gave me something to focus on. It was, yeah, it was massively beneficial. And then, so looking beyond college and university now, that positivity um, that came from that relationship, how did that almost snowball into university and beyond? Yeah, um, there was more positivity going into uni because I think, and I think for a lot of people, it was a fresh start. You know, I, I, no one knew that I'd had ME, you know, and people will meet you when you're, yeah, I guess what, by that point, 19 or 18 versus when, you know, you're 11, when you're very different people. So I really enjoyed my time at university overall, if I'm honest. Um, Where did you go? I went to Bournemouth. What did uni, you study? Sports psychology. So, you know, on brand. Why? I study sports psychology because I was trying to merge two of my favorite things, which was sport and psychology. Great. <laughs> that is, is as simple as that. I was like, I wanted to become a sports psychologist because I knew that sort of tailored to my strengths. I love sport. I love like understanding why people do what they do. I love looking at athletes and going, you know, why do they crumble in this moment? What's the difference between two players who are arguably the same you know, physicality and have the same skill set, but mentality differs so much. I didn't really know very much about psychology back then, but I knew it was something that I wanted to know more about. And for me, that's all you really need to know when you go into uni. Um, you know, it's, it's what I felt was sort of guiding me. So I did that. Um, but university was more for me, it was like, kind of like challenging a lot of the boundaries that I put within myself as well. I was always a homeboy, as I said, I'd always struggled with, you know, like, when I was really young, even small things like staying over people's houses and stuff like that. I don't know why, it just felt scary, it felt new. But you know, I was now like moving away from home for the first time ever, which is scary. To Bournemouth. To Bournemouth, <laughs> a whole 86 miles away. Um, <laughs> and you know, like I, I, it was weird things like having to do your own washing, you know, do your own laundry, um, take care of yourself, do your shop. and. I was always quite good at home, like I'd cook meals and stuff like that, but my mum might disagree with me there. But <laughs> um, you were always a very tidy kid. Yeah, I, I, you know, feel like it was it was respectful, and that that was yeah. a big thing in my family was respect, and you know, you don't you don't fuck around. So um, essentially, went to uni, and, and it was also that side that really helped in terms of you're just forced to grow up. You know, you're forced to do things on your own. And that definitely transitioned into lots of other things, just seeing the world from more of a adult point of view, I guess, developing, you know, the relationships I had at that time as well. And, um, you know, out, out of respect, there are some things that I don't want to speak about around that time, because what did happen is that it did put a strain on certain elements of my life being in uni. And there are definitely times where not really proud of, of the way that I've acted, but yeah, all I can say to that is, you know, I've reflected on it and understand that the, the, the wrongs and the rights in that point, so. Yeah, there's certainly, uh, and with that, yeah, like you said, not getting into the details, but there's certainly at university the attention. You've got that teenager, as we spoke about, that kind of hormonal split personality, just Tasmanian devil. Um, going around in 
in your brain. So that's kind of like pulling you back, but then adulthood is pushing you forward yeah. because you're now living on your own. You're now, um, yeah, you're, you're becoming self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got these like forces acting on you. Yeah. And so you are gonna do stupid things. You are gonna, yeah, there's gonna be a lot of tension yeah in that three years i think you know it's it's all about priorities as well and i think at university I, you know I'd, I'd struggled i guess with the social aspects previously to that and i went and met people that were you know like super open and you know like i, I was part of the, the tennis team as well and you know, that camaraderie and the competition and you used to drive to, you know, all around the country on Wednesdays and go and play tennis with, you know, all your mates in the car and they'd be cheering you on. You play doubles with people. Like it was that like bondedness and that, that spirit. It was like, I found a tribe again. And I think that was really strong, but unfortunately it just took over. Um, you know, it was filling a pretty deep bedded hole possibly. And you know, like looking back on it now, I'm still very fortunate for that, don't get me wrong. And, you know, I, I met some amazing people, you know, and had so much fun, uh, particularly, you know, on those on those Wednesdays in the cars when we're all singing to shit music and, you know, driving up to Bristol or something like that. Like, it was great fun. And then I was captain in third year and, you know, I had to like, I don't know, it was just, it was just amazing. I was so fortunate for that. And it's definitely given me so much confidence moving forward today. But that doesn't come without consequences, you know. And um, yeah, as I say, looking back on it, I can only reflect on on the things that I can do with hindsight. Um, but yeah, it was. I, I still see it as you know an important factor in my life. And and yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting when you said finding your tribe. Um, I think that's such an important thing at uni. Uni for a lot of people can be incredibly alienating because. I think like you, you were able to kind of start afresh. No one really knew you. You can just be, and, and you have more confidence because you're that bit older to be kind of authentically yourself. And you fell into a group, you love tennis, you love sport, you found people that love the same things and you really got along. But, you know, would you have any advice for people who are at uni or going into uni who might be terrified that that it's not as fortunate for them. Um, because I know people that have gone to uni and they, yeah, haven't found their people. And then you're suddenly in this big city completely alone. It can mm. be isolating. Yeah, um, definitely. Would you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, interestingly enough, I'm not really that close to people that I went to uni with. So what I mean by that is I don't see a lot of them. There are some people I still keep in contact with, but the people that I arguably saw the most, we've lost touch. And that somewhat makes me sad, but also it makes me realize that some people can be so positive for you at certain points in your life. But, you know, sometimes it's just not meant to be. Sometimes those friends are there to, to give you something in the moment. And it's okay if, you know, you don't keep in touch. So 
I think sometimes to answer your question, what people do is they go to you and they say, I'm going to meet my best friend for life. Or I, they put that standard upon themselves that set that expectation. And then they never ultimately meet it because it's so high and it's so hard to say, I'm going to meet my best mate. And some people do. Loads of people do. It's, you know, probably the biggest pool of people you're going to be exposed to who are all doing the same thing as you. Yeah, you're very like-minded. Yeah. So my advice would be, as cliche as it is, whatever, whoever you think you are at that moment, be it. And the right people will be gravitated towards you. I think people can get stuck because they've had a certain experience at school or whatever it is. And then they actually use university as a chance to re like redevelop themselves or like create this re this new identity that they believe people are gonna actually like. Whereas, as I said earlier, that builds up the wall. People can tell when you're not being genuine with them. And, you know, therefore you're never gonna make lasting friendships or relationships because you've built this massive wall up because you're not portraying someone that you actually are. And, you know, I'm not like, singing from my high horse here but I would argue I went to uni and I just continued being the person I thought I was and in some ways that was good some ways that was bad but that was who I was like I, I never changed I didn't I don't think I went to uni actively thinking right I'm going to be like or pretend like I'm the most popular person in school you know or like or anything like that. I just went to uni and I was like, okay, I kind of know what I like in people. I kind of know what I don't. Um, I know roughly what my, where my boundaries are. So I'm just gonna roll through. I love tennis, I love psychology. I'll be friends with, you know, like whoever I get on with kind of thing, not whoever's the most popular. And that, you know, like reap benefits for me. But ultimately it also wasn't about, it wasn't about me I guess needing to fill any holes at uni, it was just like, I wanted something new. I just wanted a fresh start. And um, yeah, it was very interesting. As soon as I went to uni and I came back for that first summer, I also felt a different connection with, you know, all of my other friends as well. Something just clicked and it was like, I think everyone needed just a bit of time to, and space to like relax and to chill out and to be away from each other. And then that first summer we all came back and we did some really nice things. Like we'd all go to the pub together and stuff like that. And like, it just felt like a different page. And you know, it's really interesting that that happens because I think people grow up at uni. Yes, I think when you grow up and you normally stay within your um, circle at school, you know, whoever you went to school with, whoever you went to college with, you normally stay within those circles. And so those people are the center of your universe. Whereas when you go to uni, there are people coming in from all parts of the country. I mean, even different countries. And so the, the your universe is expanded so much. And then you make connections, if you're fortunate enough to make connections with other people that you would never have met unless you'd gone to uni and they bring a whole new perspective on things. And so when you do go back to your friends, like obviously your school friends, obviously there's that familiarity and you know, you, you have that, that um, what's the word? You've got like a way marker almost. 
So you, it's a, a way market, meaning like God, you like you can <laughs> sorry you can like you can like plot markers, and the more markers you have, the more you like understand things. So I feel like when you go to uni, it like plots all these different points in like a realm that you didn't know yeah. that was previously unexplored, and then it means that you can kind of then understand like oh, what's life from someone like you know who's from Norwich or. Don't know why I said Norwich, but very flat. Yeah, very, very flat. Essentially, you understand what people are like from different areas of the world, as you say, and yeah. like it's important. But as I say, um, it's funny because I didn't, you know, make those like best friends at uni, etc. But I love them all. Like, but it gave I, you new perspective. Yeah, hundred percent. But and. I just was able to understand what life was like for people outside of my own little circle. And I feel like for anyone, that's always important. Yeah, and I think it's important to preface here that where we grew up in Farnham um, is it's very... And I and I, I wanted to ask you this earlier, but it kind of... I bookmarked it, but where you grow up really defines who you are, obviously. Um, and you know, where we grew up is quite a small town. Um, it's quite, it's very privileged. It's like living in a bubble. Yeah. Um, 100%. and so, you know, and very, um, you and I are both very aware of, of that privilege and what it gave us. And it's, it's a very safe town, um, to live in, but it's, university and, and branching out it's like you burst that bubble and you see that you know not everywhere in the country is like Farnham yeah and but it gives you this whole it suddenly turns your world into color yeah in the sense that you know there's so much more out there and I yeah I mean I really have that experience I think what you're saying is is exactly the same. You don't necessarily make best friends, but my God, they gave you a new perspective on how it was like for someone living in Norwich. Yeah, yeah ex exactly, <laughs> you know, exactly. You know, and yeah. It, it definitely yeah. exposes you to, yeah, you're right, not just different characters, but also like different ways of life. You're right, you know, this, this privilege of living in a nice town, you know, suburbia, et cetera. Like you meet people who are from, you know, like, poorer areas in central big cities etc who have had completely different you know paths to you and you're like fuck okay you know maybe I shouldn't have been complaining about this or maybe people actually have it way harder than I think it is and, and you know it's those types of the uh that type of exposure that helps you to be a bit more grounded and a bit more humble I think and absolutely it's, it's, it's a vital. humbling experience and for I, sure I, I tell you what university did for me as well is I went off for a placement year so I did a year working in um yeah at England hockey actually and my god it was like the best year of my life I swear it was so good just in in all respects I think I was able to be even more of an adult then because I was commuting like an hour and a half to work an hour and a half from work every day and you know I was driving there driving home I had to, you know, put my nice shirts on and stuff. I had to like get my life together. And even though I was living at home, it was like, I was able to f know what it felt like to, yeah, be like this adult that 
I kind of wasn't at that age. I was like 21, 22. But, you know, I had responsibility. I had things to do. Um, I was blessed with an incredible manager called Sally who really, like, set the benchmark for me of what a good manager is. And, um, yeah, I, you know, was also trusted with a lot of things there. I filmed, like, a, a promotional video for their, like, player pathway, which is sort of like the under, like, 13s to 18s um academy and it was awesome and by the way like i knew absolutely nothing about hockey nothing i'd never played it never held a hockey stick uh, yeah no i uh, yeah i mean i know we're from surrey but come on <laughs> <laughs> like I, it, it was always tennis for me you know that was always my sport so um i was i was kind of out of my depth and i had no idea what's going on but you know i went in as an intern there and oh it was just so it was so good in so many ways I really understood the the business world and the pressures that you know NGBs like governing bodies feel, budget restrictions, etc. And yeah, I personally Let, sorry re rewind NGBs. Uh, national governing bodies. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Acronyms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm terrible at that. <laughs> so um, yeah, so it was it was really really interesting, and I kind of attribute that as to why I felt so confident going into work after uni as well because I kind of been there done that for a year I'd worked as part of a team I was you know I had my own roles my responsibilities and I was fortunate enough to be in like conversations about you know I guess like budgets and finance and stuff like that so I was just kind of like I went there and I was like right I'm a sponge just throw me wherever you want me because I want to learn and like it, oh, it was so amazing so yeah definitely I'd recommend doing a placement year if you can was your placement paid? Uh, not for nine months. Not for nine months? Yeah. So I did it unpaid for nine months. And did they pay your travel? Yes. So essentially expenses were covered, but I went to them and I said, take me yeah. if you can cover expenses, etc." And, um, you know, I think I was still working outside of that at the time as well to like, fund just like the, the, the basics you know yeah. but I was living at home my overheads were super low and they covered travel so I just needed enough to like you know do like fun stuff on the weekends basically. and that's quite a fortunate position that you had I mean paid internships I mean there's a whole thing about paid internships and not paid internships and placements and things like that because you know it's it's free work what you're doing for them obviously you're building that experience but why is there that expectation that a person should work for free um, to build up their career? So I think, yeah, what would you be your advice for someone who wants to build up their career whilst they're at uni, but also cannot afford to do nine months unpaid work? Um, I know I'm going to sound like an old dad here, but... The world is very different now, you know, even five years later. And it all depends what sector you're in, right? If it's, you know, marketing or something like that, then, I mean, God, you know, try and start your own business, do your own side hustle or something like that. Like, I know when you're 21, you know, like it's tricky, but at the end of the day, like we've never had so many tools within us to try and do something a little different. I you know, most people have an iPhone, most people have access to social media or something like that. So, you know, you have the tools and the platform to try and promote something that you're doing. Whereas, you know, even at uni, I don't remember 
social media being that much of a thing. Um, I don't remember like, you know, the influencer marketing game, for example, being very strong or that even existing. Yeah, I mean, TikTok wasn't around. No, I think people were still talking on Snapchat and that was the main form of social media, obviously. Yeah, Snapchat was big. Yeah, you know, so I I say that cautiously because I think the actual answer to your question is it's fucking difficult. Yeah. Especially if you don't have any sort of, you know, like financial support or, you know, the company isn't open to ultimately paying you because when a company says we're not going to pay you and that's it no expenses no nothing they're essentially limiting their pool to the the types of people that they want working there because someone who you know whose family can't support them for a year which is the majority like my family can do it you know so it it was like that that's the problem is that they're limiting the pool so they need to be really cautious about that. And I think unpaid is very different to, you know, low pay. Like if, if you can live at home, for example, if you're fortunate enough to, and you get paid six, 700 pounds a month, you know, like, okay, like you could, you could probably do that, right? Like it's doable, yeah. just about, you need to be able to cover like the basics. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that were being advertised weren't being paid at all. And, you know, that like, and I think it's irresponsible of universities to even allow that in a way. It's, it's because you do get paid placements at university. Um and yeah, like you said, from when we were at uni to now, a lot has moved on around that area in particular. I remember seeing like a lot of in the media about paid internship unpaid internships and and the kind of morality and ethics behind that it was interesting at england hockey because i worked unpaid for nine months but then i was quite handy with like a camera and i could edit and stuff like that and i essentially like proposed that we did these promotional videos for their pathways i mentioned and the deal was that was that they would have paid me but you know within a national governing body you get a budget and a fi- and finance for a year and that all gets you know, organize for, you know, the next two years kind of thing, because it's it's lottery funded. So me kind of like rocking up and going, oh, can you add another employee onto your, onto your um, you know, your like paychecks, etc. wasn't really going to fly. Like they, they literally didn't have budget for it because it wasn't forecasted. So then, uh, you know, I said, can we do these promotional videos? And they said, yes. And I was essentially like a contractor at that point. So then I did get paid within that period because I was doing very specific work um, for for them. And I think, you know, we just had a conversation about this, but it's interesting if you're the primary beneficiary of the, the work that you do as an, as, a, uh, as an intern, then you need to be paid. Oh, sorry, you don't need to be paid. So um, whereas on the contrary, because I was Whether doing- Whether you should be paid is another thing. Well, yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> true. you don't- have to be legally legally yeah from a a legal standpoint but when you should be paid and when uh, it's legal to be paid is when you're doing work directly for the company that benefits the company so in that those last three months it was definitely more structured I was coming to work I was doing you know the same sort of thing every day I had one task one role and it was for the benefit obviously of me as well but it was for the benefit of the company their assets they could use for the, the rest of their time so 
really cool experience, I have mm. to say, and definitely kickstarted my my career and you know sort of developed that I guess like work hat that I that I hadn't experienced before. Okay, so let's go into your career now. So you've done the placement, you've graduated university. Where do you go? What do you do? I actually went traveling for a bit. And, um, but swiftly after that, as soon as I came back, um, actually COVID hit, <laughs> um, got yeah. which I'm not going to go into because no one wants to relive that situation. But long and the short of it, I came home. There were absolutely no jobs around. I did a bit of freelance videography for a few different people for a while just to tip me over. So I had some money. But um, after that, I then was looking for jobs online. I didn't really know what I wanted to do because I quickly realized within sports psychology that I was looking at probably about seven years of education in total, at least 60K down the drain in terms of, um, you know, like further tuition fees. tuition fees, but also you're paying for qualifications. And then I knew sports psychologists who are really struggling to find work because it's so limited in terms of the pool that you can work with. So that just put me off that profession entirely. But interestingly, it's still something, you know, I'd love to explore, but who knows? It's it's just felt like too much of a cost um, at that time. So I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to be part of a young company somewhere, you know, a company that was trying to, I guess, like challenge the status quo a little bit, somewhere where there's a great culture that I could learn from. Um, and, you know, similar to England hockey in a way, it was everyone was bounded by the same values of I want to make sure that this, you know, England hockey team or the GB team are going to succeed. And then below that, it was I want to make sure that, you know, like young players are given opportunities to shine. So everyone was bounded by the same values. And I felt that and that integrates into the culture. You know, it gives everyone a purpose to turn up to work every day. And I knew that's what I wanted again. That was a, it was a feeling I wanted to find. Very hard to put that into LinkedIn and search for that. But a bit of divine intervention happened where I applied for like an influencer marketing company at the time, didn't know much about it. But just from their like value proposition on their website, uh, looking at the, yeah, I guess like their general approach as a company, they're a startup. Uh, I just like, there was something about it that just I like, felt right. And um, I applied for the job, didn't hear back for like a week, I don't think. So I just decided to call the number that was on their website. And it turns out that it was the head of HR's mobile number direct because they're, they're a young company, right? They, they don't have like a HR department. And she was like, hello. And I was like, hi. And it was like literally a mobile number. And I was like, oh, I was just wondering whether there's like any progress on my application my name's blah 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 she was like oh nice and I was just like really polite to her on the phone um and I later found out that the only reason I got a first interview because I didn't have any marketing experience was because I spoke to her on the phone and she went oh at least bothered to call and chase it so I'm going to give this person a chance and I had the first interview and uh, it, from, it was with Claudia at the time who's still head of HR at the company and um it just clicked like the first thing I said was well the first thing she asked was why do you want to work here and what I'd recently discovered and what I mentioned earlier is all I care about is the why 
I just care about the why and the things, always look for the deeper meaning. And one of Taylor Fi's values was like always looking for the deeper meaning. So I saw that connection and I was like, cool, that's what I'm going to lead with. And I said that to her and her eyes literally just went like this. And she was like, I've just done a workshop on the why. And, and it was just like, you know, yeah, divine intervention, things aligned, went through the rest of the interview process. And, you know, ultimately got a job as a CSA, which was like the lowest sort of like position at the company um, across the next two and a half years, worked my way up. So I'm now a manager. Um, and yeah, that was sort of what happened to me. Okay. I'm going to rewind sure. straight back because yeah, yeah, there's yeah. so many things that you touched on there that that are interesting. First of all, great piece of advice in terms of applying for something. Um, one of my very good friends um, worked in recruitment and she said, it's always good to kind of, if you're applying on LinkedIn, see who the hiring manager is, connect with them on LinkedIn. Or if there's a number, don't be afraid to call. It is terrifying, obviously, cold calling someone, but it's what got you um, the 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 interview and again other stories that I've heard from people I know when they've been in the interview and they've asked them um oh so what inspires you and then he turned around and said to them well he said his answer and then said what inspires you and they said that's what made him stick in their mind so it's just about putting yourself out there you might not have the experience because and I think that's something that I'm going to ask you about in a sec but you might not have the experience but you you know you show just, what you're made of yeah that's, yeah you put your personality out there yeah um which which is what sticks so I think yeah what was it like being in an interview for something you had no experience in I was uh... I guess I was fortunate because the role that I was going into was quite clearly advertised for for someone who had little experience in marketing. But I had I knew that I had a job in terms of how do I translate the experience that I have got to suit the requirement of the role. And I feel like honestly, almost everyone can do that for every role. Maybe not so much, you know, for if you're like a data Being analyst. A doctor. And yeah, yeah, you know, there there are definitely exceptions to the rule, but I'd say roles and industries that are more that require a widespread set of skills like marketing or PR or something like that what's it called that it's like transferable skills yeah 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 transferable skills I knew you know I'd done video editing I had actually like edited some content for an influencer previously to that so I kind of like roughly understood what the process looked like and and you consume um, yeah, and I, influencers' and content exactly, as a consumer. Exactly. So I, I, that's why I decided to start with philosophy instead of start with what my experience was because I kind of didn't have a choice. But it was somewhat a tactical move. But actually, looking back on it, it was kind of happenstance. It just happened. Again, a week before my interview, one of my friends just randomly said to me, you really seem like the type of person that cares about the why and I knew it but I never put it in such an effective sentence and I was like god I'm going to use that so I used it and like I have to I'm say I'm going to put that in my notes yeah yeah <laughs> I, I have to say if I am going to give advice and I've interviewed quite a lot of people now 
if someone said that to me and started with something in terms of a broad perspective on their life, it says so much more than just saying what you've done. If you say, I believe in this, like I'm applying to this company because I believe in this, because this is what I stand for. And from my current, you know, estimations of what you do, it looks like you would do the same thing. That's really good advice to go, rather than to go into an interview, what you're saying is, rather than go interview and they say, why do you want this job? To kind of go, oh yeah, well, you know, company X is great. You guys have been around since this day and I really love the work that you do. But to go in and say, well, my values are here and I have looked and um, it seems like your values are here and I really align myself with that. And I think that's also such a generational thing. There's a real shift between maybe our parents' generation that worked for companies for their status and the money you could earn. Whereas now they're saying that our generation and younger generations really care about the why, really care about the values um, and, and you know, it's not so much about the money. It's about what are you doing as a company um, and, and whether that aligns with what I want to do. Um, and I think you going in there and saying our values aligned is exactly that. Yeah. And particularly for those entry level roles is when it's really important because if you're looking at someone's experience and, you know, you're 21 realistically what what have you meant been meant to do up until that age from a work perspective you know like look at my cv was working at a pub for three years really going to help me you know f like from a on paper standpoint work in marketing no even england hockey you know doing sports psychology or you know shadowing a psychologist or, or whatever would it obviously have transferable skills across to influencer marketing no what does have transferable skills is saying, well, what I learned from that is the value of how teams work together, is the stresses that departments have between each other, that everyone has different goals. So what I care about is trying to do all I can to make that process easier for other people. It's like you, you summate all of those learnings into a phrase or a philosophy or a statement, and then you say it in an interview, and people are like, oh, I get it because they don't need to know that you worked at the pub. They just need to know what you learned from it. Mm. Amen. Yeah. So, you know, I guess in short, <laughs> it, it, it massively helps. Yeah, yeah. And so, okay, so you get the job, you, you start working and then, so that, what year was that? Gosh, I think that was October, 2020. Okay, October, 2020. We're now in July, 2023. So that's two, just over two, two, two and a half years. Yeah, over two and a half years. Um, yeah. Where you are now, describe that to me. What What is your role? What does it look like? Yeah, so um, I manage a team. So I have four fantastic colleagues. And uh, that happened as of January. So I was kind of managing a few people before that, but officially it happened last January. And my current role is to essentially manage campaigns from start to finish. So um, I, or I guess that's our team's role more specifically. 
and uh, I have one client uh, and basically a major sort of like freelancer network and essentially our role is to produce campaigns for them depending on like the content strategy throughout the year which is something we work on with them directly uh, but also we have a strategy team they're awesome so they come in and help us yeah decide what the content format looks like what the I guess the messaging is etc and yeah I'm, I'm very fortunate because the clients like really dynamic and um, you know, we do things around cultural moments. So we've done stuff like Black History Month, for example, Women's History Month. Uh, we've just done a pride activation as well. So really cool. It's, you know, we get to sort of like think about new ideas all the time, which is yeah, very cultural fortunate. moments is such advertising speak. It's yeah. like you wouldn't really hear that that uh phrase used if you didn't work in advertising very true but, yeah. my, my advertising friends over there will uh <laughs> will understand um but yeah and, and ultimately within my role it's really just to help oversee the efficiency and the process of running those campaigns in addition obviously to personal development from everyone within my team um and to be honest like the third role but you know it's sort of like maybe less so in the job description is just trying to make sure that everyone develops in their own individual way whether that's within work or outside of work yeah and so okay so but since october 2020 to did you say january 2023 uh, yeah 2023 you manage four people you're 26 years old you manage a team of four in a um, in in a startup company, you know, a marketing startup, that's that's quite something. Yeah, it was a it was it's been an interesting time. Um, I think you know, up and before January, before I was officially a manager, there was a lot of you know, like so it's not even like you know, yes, there were long days, etc. But it was. Also just, I just had such a clear goal and I was so bought into the company. You know, I, 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 our values really did align and I really did believe in where the company was going. And I think that is such a fuel to work really smart and really hard for a you know, prolonged duration of time. And there was definitely some fortune in that, you know, I'll hold my hands up like, I had an incredible mentor um, called Lorna. She was my manager, gave me the space to move and flex. And she's actually going to feature on a podcast soon. So um, tune in for that one, guys. Yeah, I know. I think that's actually our next <laughs> one. Uh, so, you know, you'll hear all about that. Learned so much from her. Really, really valued that friendship. And, um, you know, so I had that as part of the sort of growth journey. I was also, you know, I was provided our client. I think it was about a year and a half ago, maybe nearly two years ago. And at the time they weren't, you know, like super successful in terms of within our company. They were quite a new client. The relationship was a little bit torn. Um, but then I kind of got that as my first, like, right, Chris, like you're going to lead this, like you're going to manage the situation. And then together with the rest of the team, you know, helped build that relationship up until what it is now, which is, you know, a far cry from what, what it was when we initially got it. And that experience alone gave me massive purpose, responsibility, value, accountability, all of those things that you need at work in order to thrive. So listen, if I hadn't been handed that and it, I was given a more established client where they're not open to change, et cetera, maybe my path would have been different, but ultimately you're, you're given the cards that 
you know, that you're dealt with. And, um, you know, I, I also, not to go on too much of a tangent, but I do believe that you need to be ready for whatever is about to hit you or may not hit you. So can you ever be ready for something like that? Yeah. I think within the business context, you know, you, you never know what's around the corner. I, I had no idea fiber was going to be given to me, but before that I wanted to make sure that I was doing my absolute best in case something like that did come on the cards, you know, and sometimes your current situation isn't always reflective of where you want to be, but something I was actually talking with to Luca about on, on one of our last podcasts was this idea that you always have to kind of like fake it until you make it. And what I mean by that is I needed to be the type of person or act like the type of person that was ready to hold an account of that size or ready to manage people. I had no experience in managing people, but I needed to be the type of person where people thought, yeah, he could. Yeah, I've had that advice before is that if you're after something at work and, you know, start taking on those responsibilities already or start, um, yeah, start, look at those additional responsibilities or that role and start, you know, having conversations with people about how do I get there, but also start, you know, actually playing out that role. Do as much of that role that that you can do. Obviously don't start working stupid hours and taking on extra work, but, you know, maybe dip your toe in and 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 like you said, you wanted to be that person that was ready for that account. So how did you become that person that that was ready for a big account, was ready for a big client? You know, what did you do? Did you did you communicate with your colleagues who were already managing big accounts and, and absorbing work? Did you have conversations with your mentor about um, you know, handling bigger, bigger clients? What how did that look? I think the main thing was I said yes to a lot of things. So, you know, I I definitely said yes to things even though I maybe didn't want to do them. And so that was one thing. But arguably the, the single biggest thing for me was being the type of person that you want to work with. So, you know, everyone's themselves. And I think there's definitely value in some people being quite driven and selfish at times because you you actually need those individuals to make help businesses function oh yeah in sometimes. a sales team you, you yeah. need those folks exactly you know if everyone's like oh well i'll do whatever you know that there's, there's that doesn't help anyone sometimes but the person that i was was that one of my objectives when i came to work is that i wanted people to enjoy working with me and i definitely you know i'd, I'd counter you know if i didn't believe in something i'd stand up for myself when i didn't but ultimately I wanted to, you know, show that I I cared about not just the work, but the people who are doing the work as well. And, you know, I, I say all the time, but so much of life is about perception and how people perceive you. And if you're perceived as someone who, yes, can take a challenge, yes, can cope with stress, etc. Um, but also someone who's perceived to be open to new ideas, to someone, you know, that... Um, I guess, you know, would, yeah, I think that's it, be open to new ideas, then you're naturally going to open up a lot more conversation. Whereas if you're someone that's difficult to work with, that pushes back on everything, that lets her ego get in the way of, you know, their sort of general action all the time, then 
you're not going to be the type of people person that people want to reward. Yeah. So it's kind of self-fulfilling and there's lots of elements to it. There's luck, there's, you know, divine intervention, but there's also some things that you can control. And I think it's just about exploring what scenario you're in, what your situation you're in and understanding what, yeah, you have control over and what you don't. Yeah, I think a core piece of advice is make it impossible for them not to reward you. You know, make it really hard. You know, obviously there are going to be shit days. There are going to be days when you're working and you're just like, oh my God. But, you know, in general, I think what you're saying is is that make it really difficult for your company not to go, this person is brilliant. We see them in the future of our company and for them to stay, we need to reward them. Um, and that is just being open, like you said, open, being a people person, yeah, and 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 being collaborative and being empathetic. This is the thing that I say all the time at work is, you know, that is, empathy is such a huge thing in the workplace. Yeah. Such a huge thing. It really is. And I think you don't always have to be the loudest voice and you don't have to be outgoing. You don't have to go to socials, you know, and like be the party person. But what you need to have is, you know, some defining qualities about yourself. And whatever those defining qualities are for you, use them. Make it a point to demonstrate them. You know, because I, 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 in fact, I listen back to what I've just said and I think, it's easy for some people to think, oh, well, maybe those people who are just kind of like naturally confident and they'll just roll into anything and they'll do any presentation or, you know, like they'll, they'll say yes to anything, even if it's scary. It's like, I wasn't one of those people. Like I was terrified of presenting, terrified. I still am, I still hate it. And I, I'm still get, trying to go over it, right? I was, there were loads of things I was nervous to do and Yes, naturally one of my, I'd say my skills is being personable, but I knew that was my skill, so I capitalized on it. And I don't believe that there's any one way to get success in like life or even in work, but it's just about understanding what you're good at and making the most of it. So like, that's my advice is whatever that is, then run with it. And then, okay, so understanding what you're good at, you know, figuring out those defining qualities, that's quite hard. That is quite hard to be that self-reflective and go, okay, I'm good at this, I'm good at that. You know, how, what would be your advice to someone, you know, who's, you know, listening and thinking, I don't know what I'm good at. Like, I just do me and I just do what I want to do. And that seems to work or doesn't work. And I, or I need to figure out what am I good at on a kind of skill base? Mm. How do you? Um, so two things. I think one, you need to open up those internal cha channels of review. So you need to be somewhat self-aware about what you don't like and what you do like. How you do that is just by creating a time and a space to do so. I, you know, like it could be like journaling or writing, but just think about past times where you felt like you're in flow, like where you felt like 
the world is in the palm of your hand, you can do whatever you want. What was it that characterized that situation? Who knows? I don't know. I can't put myself in that position, but that's number one. I think as well to add to that is, um, is seeking feedback from your friends and also your colleagues. If you're not sure what you're great at, generally people who you work with or people who you spend a lot of time with do know what you're good at. And sometimes when you have conversations with friends and they say, yeah, you're really good at X, Y, and Z. And you think, oh my God, I've never thought of it that way. So I think when you, you're you really stuck with, oh my God, I don't know how to verbalize it or I wouldn't even know where to begin. I think it starting from within it, and, and opening, opening up those channels. And then I think you said creating the time and space for it which you can elaborate on but I think as well is yeah if is if you're really clueless ask ask the people around you that love you because they'll give they'll be honest definitely I think you've just highlighted an interesting point there naturally I always go internally but actually you're right external feedback is vital and from the right types of people as well yeah yeah it's interesting the second point is what are you gravitated towards naturally without anyone asking you? So what I mean by that is outside of work, maybe even outside of your friends or socials, etc. when you're on your own, what do you, what you pull towards? What, what brings your attention, you know, up a level? And I think for me personally, what am I gravitated towards? Like, what am I doing right now? I'm talking to you, having a conversation because building a podcast is something that I truly believe is part of me and something that I love doing without anyone asking me to do it. So that's one example of like how I feel gravitated towards having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people that are probably on a deeper level than just, you know, how's your day? What are you up to? I'm gravitated towards that. That's something that I've chosen to do solely because of me. And so I think understanding what those things are will also help you in terms of what your strengths are because the things you're gravitated towards sometimes will help you realize oh, okay well I'm doing this because I feel like I'm good at it or I feel like I'm in the flow there's also a counter argument to that which says you should also do things that are outside your comfort zone because you know it will develop you as a more sort of like well-rounded holistic person but you know, it's sometimes a bit of both. Yeah, you don't have to do things that scare you every single day. You know, if you don't like presenting, don't force yourself to do presentations every single day. Well, I mean, you could and you'd probably get quite used to it and you True. wouldn't find it scary at all. You have to challenge your boundaries somewhat to realise right. that they're not actually boundaries. I often talk about, you know, to make things, make you realise that that challenge is not a mountain, it's a molehill because I, you know, you can challenge it and you can do it. I think what we've seen is is really your journey from the beginning right up until now. But, and also I think you've had like lots of pivotal moments within there that have put you on this path and that path. But I think what would be interesting to know is A, what was your toughest age or what was the toughest period? Um, within your life up until now? And then B, what advice would you tell yourself at that age um, 
yeah, what would be your one piece of advice for, for yourself at that age? What would you like to, to tell them now? Yeah, so ironically, I know I've had spoken at length about the things that happened when I was, you know, 13 and so on, but ultimately those things were hard, but they were somewhat subconscious because I wasn't quite as self-aware. The hardest times have been, and time was specifically, I think around sort of like November, 2022 and that kind of extended from to be honest from November to you know probably like March April of this year and it was mainly because two fairly pivotal things kind of like landed at the same time and out of respect for both people I'm not going to mention what it was but um, essentially something happened with a close relationship that only really properly hit home, I think, at that point in time. And then something very um, devastating happened to my family. And uh, I was heavily involved in, in quite a serious situation. So um, that was really tough. Uh, you know, two big support networks not being there. And I think it was the only real time, and it was the first time where I really, you know, and I don't like throwing this word around, but I'd say, depressed I was just every day was just a struggle I found no enjoyment in the things that I used to enjoy um getting up in the morning was hard you know and ultimately I just saw so many barriers in front of me so many hurdles so many mountains to climb and you know I think for a period in time I just gave up I just saw, I just couldn't even begin to think how me feeling in this like weak position that I am could go and yeah to, to use the same term, climb that mountain. Um, and you know, it was, it was just impossible. It felt impossible. And so I think leading to that, the one piece of advice that I'd give to myself at that time would be, you know, the only thing that helped me through that was by challenging the, the hurdles that I thought I had in front of me. So making those little steps, you know, whether that was, I don't know, me feeling, not feeling very confident. It's like, okay, well do a tiny thing that's gonna make you feel good, you know, like challenge your belief. Or if it was presenting, for example, to use that analogy, it'd be just present like one slide in a call or do like one thing, say yes to do one thing that's gonna be out of your comfort zone. That proves to yourself that you can do it, right? And it challenges that negative belief in your mind that you can't. And it was that negativity in my mind that I found really hard to shift. So yeah, the one piece of advice is, align on the things that you find difficult and then do one thing to try and challenge that and then build from it on the next time and then hopefully then you can you know start bringing yourself out of it I really like that it's baby steps and you know there's a saying it's like you know try not to boil the ocean you know just take one thing at a time um so yeah thank you Chris, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And I've loved sitting in the interview chair. It's a lot nicer than probably being interviewed. Yeah. It feels strange being on this yeah, side of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you. And I, I've known you for a really long time, but I feel like I've learned more about you as well. And I think it'll be really nice for people who are tuning in that learning about, about you. And I think the whole purpose of this was to put yourself in the spotlight um as you expect or ask other people to do 
um so yeah thank you thank you be kind everyone (laughs) (laughs) thanks alice thanks